welcome to another episode of the Down of the Valley podcast. My name is Edson Ochoa, and I am extremely happy to finally back to talk about Toros games after a long time. And the best part about it is, you know, we start off 2022 officially with uh, on the right foot with a dub over Oakland Roots SC. And uh, before I present to you our uh, co-host, um, I do want to invite you all to be sure to like us on Facebook at facebook.com slash down in the RGV. Um, follow us on Twitter and on Instagram at down in the RGV and as well as TikTok as well. And uh, be sure to check out the uh, the podcast, uh, which is available in Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Anchor, Breaker, uh, and of course the video is available as well on our official YouTube channel, YouTube.com/slash Down in the Valley. And uh, to talk to us today uh, about the uh, this past game that happened last Saturday, uh, let's go ahead and, and welcome our uh, the co-host and good friend of mine, Jacob Young. Jacob, how are you doing? Yeah, doing fantastic. Of course, it's always fun to talk about a win more than, of course, a loss. So glad that we're going to be talking about a Toro's uh, victory for their opening game. And, of course, loving to talk about, about our good friends over at Orange County. It's always fun when we play them. And it's always fun when we have them on the show as well. So excited about talking about both those games. And then, of course, then we'll get set for Saturday and Next week will be the exciting week to talk about, well, our good old rivals from San Antonio. That is very true. And of course, uh, by the time this episode does uh, uh, go out live on our podcasting platforms, um, that which usually on Tuesdays. So Tuesday nights, our good friends from the Orange and Black Soccer Cast, as Jacob mentioned, uh, go live to talk about uh, OCSC. Especially this week is important to know uh, more about their team since we are going to be playing against them uh, this upcoming uh, weekend. Um, except this time it will be away at Championship Stadium. Let's not forget that Orange County SC is the, the reigning USL Championship champions you know and with El Cubo Torres so I think it's pretty interesting to see how much this new team is different from that championship winning team and only they would know so if you guys are listening to this episode um, be sure to check out the usual go live on YouTube uh, so and um, they invited uh, they invited me uh, over to the show so uh, be sure to, to check us out as we uh, become recurring guests on them whenever uh, both of our teams play each other. So, uh, but let's get back to this uh, game at hand that we had on Saturday against Oakland Roots. So last week we talked about, you know, Oakland Roots um, being a potentially dangerous team, you know, with the offensive power, uh, firepower that was uh, Darius uh, Fornella, Chuy Enriquez, uh, Juan Carlos Azócar as well. And um, really, there was not a lot of things that we knew 100% about the Toros. You know, Wilmer Cabrera, as we mentioned before, Wilmer Cabrera tends to be, you know, very secretive about what they uh, what they talk about, what they release, you know, to the um, to the public. And, uh, you know, but one of the things that 
he did mention was you know they were trying to to make sure that this uh defense was a bit more cohesive than last season you know last season there were multiple times where the toros you know had these cases where they had the lead or they had the draw and offensive mistakes at the last couple of minutes of the matches would cost them you know crucial points in in multiple matches um obviously we always talked about the fact that he really wasn't very confident about his outside backs um to the point where he had Juan Carlos Azócar and Babu Karjai who tend to be more offensive midfielders playing as outside backs for the last third uh, of the season you know and so at the pregame conferences you know he was talking uh, about that with what he had seen in preseason with the inclusions of Luka Malasevich, Robert Coronado, Jonathan Ricketts he saw a more what he felt the potential to have a more cohesive unit a more talented defensive lineup um, that will bring some stability to this club. You know, he mentioned that he was not very keen uh, about what he had gotten or what he came up with last season as far as squad. He said it was good. It was a good squad, but he needed something that went along more with his vision. You know, we talked about many times how last season's squad was pretty much put together at the last minute with uh, the part spins here and there, you know, and see what comes up with, you know, and even then he made it to the playoffs with that squad. You know, he mentioned one of the quotes that he mentioned, and and it sticks with me because he said, as a head coach or as a sport, yeah, as a head coach, I would have loved to have kept that 70% that left. I would have loved to have kept most of them to continue the process. But as a sporting director, I felt that this decision that we made to let go of these players and get more players that actually built a long-term foundation for this club was the necessary step to do the right things for the future of RGVFC, regardless if Wilmer Cabrera is here or if he's not here in the future. Well, yeah, I I kind of agree with him in general. It's just, it, it's it's crazy the surprises that he keeps making with the roster, with the lineup, all of that, and him having that type of that type of roster. What we saw, especially out on the play, was impressive. It was something that we weren't used to seeing. We talked last week about the midfield and being able to, well. Maybe this time we'll get more possession or more balls won at midfield. Well, during the play, I know that we haven't gotten to that point yet in this podcast, but during that play, that's what I saw from this team. So, Wilmer Cabrera, Wilmer Cabrera, say whatever you want about this man. But I think he's pretty smart when it comes to getting the players that he wants to and figuring out the team. It This club reminds me funny enough, of the 2017 Houston Dynamo when it was his first year there, just about his first year, because he said this thing, even though it's 
it's a little bit wrong as in you can't have often you can have a powerful offense and a powerful defense but most likely you either need to choose one he chooses defense most of the time and sure enough that kind of showed in that game yeah and you know one of the things he also did mention before uh the game or during the week mm-hmm. he said i am seeing the consistency in the team's behavior with the ball I have seen the consistency of movements. They ra- adapt rapidly to what we want, and they are very disciplined with a desire to complete both the offensive and defensive function. So we feel motivated. I feel motivated, and the technical staff feel motivated because we see the discipline, interest, and hunger to do what we instruct. It fills us with confidence knowing that we can adjust rapidly, and we hope to reflect that on the playing field in official matches. Now, if you guys are listening right now, keep that quote in your head. But you'll understand why as we talk more about what actually happened in the in the match. So moving forward, you know, to that Saturday evening, what was your what was your initial thoughts on this starting eleven roster? Just to keep you a quick reminder, it was a four-three-three formation. Tyler Derek Ungle, Luka Malasevich as your right back. Jesus Vasquez and Wehab Akwe as your center backs. Robert Coronado as a left back. Line of three midfielders, Emilio Icaza, Juan Torres, Isidro Martinez. All with tendencies to be more of offensive midfielders than defensive midfielders. Up on top, Dylan Borjak, right out of Oklahoma, Oklahoma, Oakland University. And the Horizon League. Ricky Reese, newcomer from USL League One, and Frank Lopez as your uh, central striker. What, what did you think about that lineup? It's funny. I, I like to go into, you know, the press box, and when I do read the starting 11 or whatever, it, it's, it's more along the lines of, well, let's see what happens. You can't necessarily judge a book by its cover just yet. I know that it was a lot of young talent, but again, I, I'm not the coach. <laughs> I, Wilmer sees more than we do on practice, so I just thought, well, let's see what happens. It's 90 minutes of soccer, 45-minute halves. We'll see what happens in this first 45 minutes before that second 45 minutes kicks off as well. So really, I it is weird to say I came in there optimistic, even though the lineup was a little, just a little bit crazy. <laughs> I think right off the bat, when I mentioned about the midfielders, right off the bat, I knew we were going to go back to being that high pressure mm-hmm. team that we saw last season. Coming right out of the bat, exerting high pressure on Oakland roots, make sure that Oakland was feeling very uncomfortable out there on the pitch and kind of choke them within their own half, which is going to be very, which is usually a double edged sword as all, you know, tactics have a pro and a con, right? So the pro is when you play very often, very high press is that you can create, make, force your your opponents to make mistakes right in front of the goal right it more often than not if you're very effective in that high pressure you don't let 
the Oakland Roots maintain possession. You don't let them come up to your side of the field because in that uh, making sure they shake off the high pressure, they're either going to make a mistake or they're going to clear the ball. And more often than not, you're going to be recovering that ball in that clearance, right? But what's the, obviously what's the con is that if they're very, very accurate with their long, their long uh, passes and you get caught up really high, you leave your, your defensive line exposed. However, with this team, or at least in this Saturday, really there weren't a lot of opportunities that Oakland Roots had on Tyler Derrick's goal. The only one that I can remember was that one in stoppage time in the first half where uh, Lindo Mfeka totally like uh, shot that, that ball like way off of... Tyler Derrick's goal and he was right in front I think he was like right in front of the six yard box and somehow he missed that yeah <clears throat> I agree with you and if I'm not mistaken Oakland Roots did not necessarily challenge uh, Derrick at all I think officially it was two shots from Oakland Roots two shots none on target guess what both of them were in the first half exactly and I mean, absolutely crazy considering even in that second half, I know we'll talk more about it, but even in that second half, it seemed like Oakland had more possession than RGVFC did because RGVFC <clears throat> took the lead early on in that first half. Yeah. And they had some multiple opportunities. The Toros did. They had one, I think when the 24th minute that uh, Frank Lopez um, missed right in front of goal. And yeah. And then also it was not until the 34th minute where Frank Lopez gets, gets the goal. Uh, But let's kind of focus a little bit more so on the defensive side. So obviously those four defenders, it's the first time we had seen them play together. Now, even though Oakland Roots didn't really do much, what were your thoughts on that defensive line? To me, I liked the leadership from Jesus Vasquez. I liked the I liked how he paired well with Wahab Akwe. They were very much in sync together. Luka Malasevich and Robert Coronado, it's in because Oakland Roots were pressed so deep in their own half, they had the liberty of coming up and help out on the attack. If you guys go to the USL Championship website and you go to the match center for this RGV versus Oakland match, they have a graphic in there that says their average positions. You want to know where Luka Malasevich and Robert Coronado's average position was? right in front of the midfield line. Yep. And then you see from Oakland Roots, you only had your two strikers within our half in their average position. Everybody else was either right outside the two other midfielders, which were uh, Juan Carlos Azocar and uh, Charlie Dennis. Their average position was just right in front of the midfield. So they weren't even near Tyler Derrick's goal, right? And everybody else was just 
right there in, in the midfield. You had Isidro Martinez, uh, Juan Pablo Torres, and Emilio Icaza. You had you were they were all three of them there were there in the around the same vicinity in the midfield on average. But if you look at the game, you could notice that at multiple times with that high pressure, Isidro Martinez would go up and pressure Alejandro Formayor, or he would pressure Emra Clementa, you know, to try to force the ball away. Or sometimes you would see Emilio Icaza be the uh, the highest midfielder and create that pressure. You know, and Juan Pablo Torres, you got to hand it to him. He was one of the players that, to me, kind of flew under the radar. But, man, did he move those those um, threads really well in distributing that ball for the Toros. Last I checked, he had about a 93 passing percentage in this in this past game. You know, obviously it helps a lot when you limit your opponent's uh danger because if you had if they were going up against a team that didn't really press or didn't was absolutely hounding at you, you wouldn't have the liberty obviously to move up and, and on the attack. And I'm talking about Malasevic and Coronado. But this time, given how well the midfield isolated their 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 mid and their and and their offensive line it gave them so much liberties to do what they wanted in the game control the tempo force Oakland to play how RGV wanted and not necessarily how Oakland wanted very true um it, it was it was nice to see that change of pace again because of the press, just in general, especially seeing that Melsevich could play that way and be able to take control of business at midfield was a nice thing to see. Just RWFC being able to control that possession, doing everything right in that sense. I mean, that throws a team off. That throws a team off, especially in the first half, and gets them very, very frustrated too, where well, they start to make more mistakes and there starts to become more fouls. And I think RGVFC did more of the fouling, but when it, it just basically gets a team very much stressed out and frustrated and well, they don't necessarily have too much of an answer. The Toros actually had just a little bit more fouls uh, conceded than Oakland, it was very risky. I'm gonna, I gotta hand you that. You know, the referee in total take, took out six yellow cards. It seemed like more. You know, yeah. when at the game, it seemed like he took out more cards. But yeah, he took. It was three for each, uh, for each team. And uh, but I think the control, the the Toros controlled themselves really, really well. I I liked what I saw from the defensive uh, line. And the midfield, I think at least so much potential, but I'm still not ready to call it because it's just game one. Yeah. You know, we haven't seen how they're going to go up against the, the top dogs. We'll we'll see how they uh, handle the situation when they play away, which is going to be a good scenario yeah. for this upcoming uh, Saturday against uh, Orange County SC. 
Yeah, how you play away is always key. It is very true, Edson. I I am interested to see how they will play just just on the road in general. It might be against the top dogs per se because they are the defending champions. But are the defending champions the same? The same? Do they have that hangover as well? And that's another thing, of course, that I think we'll talk about later. But it is just it's it's so true that away is going to be key halfway through the season. Can this team stay healthy? Can this team play as well as they are playing as in just being able to press and throwing everybody off guard and still keeping that pressure when we have to play against them, maybe the second time, which I don't believe we play Oakland the second time, but we play a couple of teams in our conference twice. And so that's of course a thing, or at least even three times with San Antonio. So it, it goes into a lot of those but for sure with this lineup, if it isn't broke, don't fix it. So I would like to see this light, the same type of lineup head to Orange County and just be able to, well, get, get more minutes playing together. Because I think Coach, even in the press, press conference, from what I remember, he said something along the lines of, well, now it's just about chemistry. Even the captain said that same deal yeah. on defense. It's just... Yeah, chemistry, getting used to each other a little bit more even now. Now they can practice and talk about what mistakes and what they'd rather like to see. And with a win, it gives you a confidence boost to be able to say things that maybe we were struggling with technically in the game, and which I'm just talking as a player. But it, it's so true. Now it's that being able to relax and push forward and just getting better, cleaning up those those mistakes that we we may might have not seen as analysts and fans now there was one particular play that i was like what is going on so i think overall as a unit the defense uh played really well because those baskets we have acquired like we mentioned however statistics wise the player that struggled the most you want to maybe attribute it to the fact that he's a newcomer to the USL. He's maybe not used to the play style of the USL championship. But I think the player that struggled the most defensively was Luka Malasevic. I was looking at the stats that USL championship has. And Luka was actually, he had four duels that he participated in. He lost all four of them including that duel in stoppage time in the first half that led to the Roots' only clear opportunity, where it was a cross that, that was overshot. Luka Malasevic, I think he tried to shield the ball or whatever, try to let the ball go towards the, uh, towards the end line. And he gets shoved cleanly by the Oakland Roots attacker, loses the ball, and that led to that play. And up here, and I think you and I were like, what the hell just happened? And, but other than that, you know, it's one of those things like you mentioned, Jacob, it's those mistakes that Wilmer Cabrera is gonna have to analyze, that the defensive line is gonna have to analyze and minimize those errors to uh, make sure that they don't happen again. Because this time we were lucky. Next yes. time, we may not be as lucky. Yeah, I remember that whole conversation in the booth. It it was the same thing. We we've seen that so many times with the past RGV teams. 
where it's just you make that one mistake, you lose that duel, and then it goes forward. Another thing as well, even on the defensive side, thankfully we didn't see it, but speaking about, you know, kind of defensive lapses was it wasn't a huge lapse, but it's something that we liked technically. It was when I forget exactly who the player was, but they were try- maybe it was in the second half as well that I saw, but they were trying to go for a certain duel or something like that. But instead of going full towards a certain challenge where they were going to get beat, they backed off and didn't allow themselves to get beat so that they'd be ready for that offensive counter or that offensive build for a chance in at goal. So that was something very cool to see that our defense did not allow a mishap where, you know, from New Mexico United last season, where it lost RGVFC, I believe, three points on that road. So that was something very cool that I witnessed. I believe it was on the left wing or RGV's left wing, to be exact, where they were pushing up. So that, like I said, I think that was a very good sign on that defensive side, even though it could have it could have gone terribly wrong, where if he goes through with that challenge, he gets a beat and somebody's left wide open on the wing or something like that, or he's able to dribble past him, and all of a sudden it's an attack without a defender down there. Robert Coronado, man. We wanted last season, we wanted a natural outside back out on the left and the right, but obviously more of the left because that's where Robert usually plays. I got to hand it to him. I think he played his guts out on Saturday. And I think the stats, um, the stats kind of show, you know, how participative he was, not only defensively, but offensively. Talk about 62 passes with an 85.5% accuracy, 71.4% accuracy in the opponent's half. Five duels won, five duels lost, two aerial duels won, two aerial duels lost with two tackles and one interception. Now, moving on, offensively, I think I liked what I saw from, from Dylan Borjak. I think he made a really good first impression. I was very impressed about Dylan Borjak. Um, he was very he was very participative. He had that sacrifice, a sacrifice that Ricky didn't have a lot. At least the statistics show. And the reason I say this is because Dylan Borjak. Not only did he help out offensively, you know, having three block shots, one shot off target, one successful cross, one chance created, you know, but defensively, two tackles, one clearance, three blocked shots, and one interception. So he has that sacrifice of helping out the defense whenever he's needed. And... Ricky Reese, I think I think he shows potential out there uh, on the right. Ricky, let me see what he what his statistics were. So Ricky was uh, had a lot more passing because it felt like the offense went more on Ricky's side of the field rather than on Dylan's. If you notice, like in the first half and the second half, most of the that transition from left or from defense to offense happened between uh, Luca 
and uh, and Ricky, right? Or from Emilio to Ricky, you know, trying to find that cross from the right hand side of the field. Thirty one passes, eighty seven point one passing accuracy. Um, five duels, one four duels lost, and then offensively he had one shot off target, uh, two unsuccessful crosses. And zero shots created, right? Um, I think it's statistics that maybe it may not be as good, you know, to write home about, you know, when you look at it themselves by themselves. But I think overall, uh, Ricky kind of helped guide that offense out there uh, on the right hand side. And obviously, with Frank Lopez, he had that missed opportunity. 28th minute scores a goal in the 34th uh but i think other than that overall while i did see some potential in dylan and in ricky and we know what frank lopez is capable of i think the offense still needs work to put in the opportunity create opportunities and put those opportunities in the back of the net and maybe it could be because like what you mentioned about Wilmer, where he says you can either have a good defense or a good offense, not both. Not sure what you think about that. Yeah, I mean, definitely there is some to you can either have a good defense or, you know, a great offense or something, something around the, those lines. That's definitely part of it for sure to me, but... RGVFC did have 13 shots compared to Oakland Roots 2. That's great. But there was only one goal because one was on target. Yes. So I think you're, you know where I'm going with this. They just got to be on target. Shots have to be on target. You got to challenge the keeper. You got to challenge the keeper against any team, especially against an orange county team but especially against an la galaxy too especially against a phoenix rising i'm sure we play against them this season but that's my point this offense does need to build up because we have this great counterattack team we have this great team that can win duels at midfield but as a lone coach once said in the rgv if you have all this possession and can't do anything with it then what's the point of course that's you know, that's way off of what he actually said, but I think, I, I think Jerson once said without goals, there is no glory. Exactly. And now what I'm just going to take this. Yeah. With, if you can't get the possession or if you can get possession, but can't get goals. then what's the point of playing soccer? Because we all know the team who ends up winning is the one who scores the more goals than their opponent. So yeah, we did that today, but Definitely, they can improve on that side as well as still improve a little bit on the defensive side. Because if you have both of those, even a counter-attacking team that can score, oh my goodness, the places mm-hmm. they can go. Yeah, I definitely, I definitely agree with that sentiment. Um, like I said, it's still barely the first game of the season. We know what this team is capable of what their potential is we see that they've they've got a good solid foundation defensively now we just need to build up on it offensively now if we're in the middle of the season 
and we're still having these issues with uh, not putting in more t- shots on target, then yeah, that's when questions are going to have to be raised. But right now, it's like we're starting off with a seven, with a you know, a almost completely new roster. This offensive uh, line is barely starting, barely starting to get used to each other. So we'll see how the how the how the games continue to evolve. Now, now as far as the goal is concerned, we were talking we were talking before about how this high pressure from RGV forced clearances that maybe they weren't really ready to make, right? Well, that's exactly how this goal started. The defense from Oakland was forced by Dylan Borjak, if I'm not mistaken, that was him who was putting exerting that high pressure. Yeah, Dylan Borjak forces Alejandro Fuenmayor uh, to clear that ball out, uh, and Luka Malasevich is the one that intercepts the ball right out right uh, in front of the midfield line, right? Takes two touches to the ball, gives it to Emilio Icaza, who is guarded by two players, but with a lot of space in between him and Frank Lopez. Frank Lopez is only being guarded by one player, and he's behind his back. And he's not even in a position to where if Frank Lopez receives the ball, he's going to be able to make a decent uh, tackle to not allow him to turn or to not allow him to get the shot, right? You know, he he is basically running. So he's got Frank Lopez right here uh, uh, to his side, and he's running with his uh, chest, running towards the goal. You know, so you're not, you're not going to be able to uh, react on time to take that ball away, right? So we continue that play. You grab the he he immediately Casa gives the ball over to Frank Lopez. Emilio already ran waiting for that one-two pass. He already left his two to two defenders behind him in that run. The most logical decision to to do is give that ball first touch towards Emilio Icaza. Am I right or am I wrong? Instead, Frank Lopez, see, he's only got one defender. He already opened his legs, you know, with leaving him space between him and the goal. The goalkeeper, from what I can tell from his posture, he and and his location, he is expecting, like I mentioned, that pass to Emilio. But instead, Frank gets that shot into the back of the net. Really intelligent play by them. Oh, definitely. And I think you explained it perfectly well up there, Edson. I mean, what what else could he have done there that would have related into or the same result, basically? It's very impressive of what he was able to do and just create those build-up plays. That's huge. Now... One thing that I do want to mention, though, on another attack is, well, the set pieces. And I know you and I kind of talked about it in the booth. But with six corners, how many of those were played short? I think most of them, not all of them. Yep. How many of those were successful? About none. Maybe a couple of them were actually, you know, worth At most one. Exactly. It just... uh... Get it up in the air. Play it in the box. 
crowd the keeper, they're going to be more successful than if you try and play it short because the defender is right there all the time to be ready for that. You always play for a tactic, most likely, for a visiting team or for any team. You put a player there to make sure that that stops for that short corner so that they can get it inside. Yes, most likely those will be headed away, but what? I think that's a better chance than playing it short and getting it taken away three seconds after you do that. However, and this is where I play devil's advocate on this. Okay. How many of those players, how many of the players do we have are notorious for winning balls in the air? How many players do we yeah. have are tall? Frank Lopez isn't tall. No, he's not. Emilio isn't tall. Isidro isn't tall. Ricky is not tall. Dylan isn't really tall. Who are the only tall players that we have? Defense. Just about, yeah, our defense, yeah. Aque mm -hmm. and Size, who was on the bench. That's the only reason why I think RGV is preferring to make short crosses yeah. from corner kicks. Because we don't have players right now that can compete with the defenders up in the air. That's the only reason I'm thinking. I'm not saying that's that I'm not saying that's what it is. But in my point of view, that's what I think it could be the reason why. Like I mentioned to you up in the booth, I'm not happy about it. I'm, I don't like short corners, but I think in this case, given the circumstances, really what, what else can RGV do? You know, in the end, yeah. I think either way, they're not, the chances aren't created in, in corners, either you either long or short, but I think at least in short, they'll be able to kind of work with their advantages and probably get, you know, better uh, tactics to exploit those short corners. That all takes time and chemistry to be able to do correctly. But if it becomes yeah. routine, then other teams are just going to, they're already going to know what you're going to do. That's the drawback. Yeah, so there are pros and cons to that, especially when your team is not the tallest and you continue the trend of RGV players not being that tall. I know that, of course, it's players from different places, not necessarily from here, but that continues the trend of just you get short players down in the valley. Uh, but besides that, yeah, it, it is a frustrating thing. You make some good points there. I'll take it. Um, it's frustrating to know that you're probably right <laughs> because it just seems like it, but yeah. Um, I, that's all I really have to say on that because in the end, maybe I'd get a goal, but maybe thir 13 shots is good on the offensive side. They just got to make sure that they can hit a couple of those and not miss easy chances. But then again, Oakland did the same deal. They should have scored twice, in my opinion. And those were the two goals that skied over the goal for them. So RDVSC did get lucky in that sense. But yeah, other than that, really don't have anything else to say on the, that attack. One final observation that I have before we wrap up this game, unless you have any other final thoughts on this, and we'll get to you right now. And I asked Wilmer about it in the in the uh, post-game press conference. 
I saw this defensive schema of high pressure in the first half and sitting deep in the beginning of the second half. And even in both scenarios, the defensive lineup, the, the players for the team looked very comfortable. They limited, they continued to limit Oakland Roots and what they could do as far as crosses, accurate crosses. Uh, they didn't, I don't think that Oakland even had a decent shot from outside the box. No. They so both of their both of their shots. So I gotta make a correction, right? I mentioned that both of the shots from um from Oakland were in the first half because that's what I think the the system that the USL uses at the games, uh that's what it said. That they had two shots in the first half. But they had one shot, I think it was in the ninety in the forty uh, it was in stoppage time, which is the one that he skied, right? Mm-hmm. And then the second one was not until the 90th minute. So both yeah. shots from Oakland were in the stoppage times. Yeah. Both of them were inside the 18-yard box. So the Toros were able to limit, they were able to shield and not give them room to shoot from outside the 18. Mm-hmm. They couldn't they weren't allowing them to come into as you can as what I mentioned from the average positions on the heat map. On average, they weren't even close to the 18 yard box to create danger. In both sides of the spectrum. High pressure and sitting back. I know it's too early to say this is going to be a good defensive squad and that they're going to be great because it's yeah. only one game that you have, you know, to, to deal with. But it shows a lot of potential to that this to what this team can do. How many times last season were we like, oh man, I, like, you're like, I know they're going to create a mistake. And well, there it is, right? There's the mistake, you know? Uh, or you felt that the Toros were being bombarded, uh, especially like in the second half, right? But I honestly did not feel, un- this team did not make me feel uncomfortable that Oakland was actually going to get something done to equalize. Yeah, not until the last last minutes of the game did I feel uncomfortable. I think there I so second half I decided to brace the cold because well my friend is was down from spring break so found an empty seat sat there next to them and you know was still a media member first and foremost because I was wearing the badge so I was very quiet <laughs> but of course you could you could still see everything going on point that I was trying to make there was yes in that 90th minute I did talk to him and say how many times he even mentioned this how many times do we see last year where all of a sudden tie game at the last minute or 
visiting team takes the three points instead. Or, yeah. And it was a lot. And that's when we did see the possession go a little bit further past RGDFCs when Oakland had a chance to score. And that, that was, of course, the only real scare for me in, in the sense. But, yeah, even for my final thoughts, is it was very cool to see that Alejandro Fomayor still got a yellow card. Um, he still got upset in the end of the game because you could tell it was a fair challenge one and RGVSC were, were kind of breaking. And sure enough, when he just came out and fouled like Fuenmayor does. <laughs> so, that, yep. so that was funny. <laughs> Fueny being Fueny. It, it, exactly. And so, I mean, that, that was... That was just funny to see. And then Chewy being shut down at the end of the game as well was interesting. That means RWFC have pace because that man is fast. Again, I could tell that Chewy had worked on his game. Yeah, he's fast. He's nimble. Exactly. He worked on his game in the offseason for sure. I could tell that because he was more nimble than I remember him being at RDV. And even, of course, we we can't necessarily say basically what I'm trying to say is we can't necessarily compare him at San Antonio because he didn't have enough minutes Nor but, yeah, from him from, or yeah, exactly. But from him from last season to this season, he did change a little bit and got a little bit faster too. So I- impressive for RDVSC to be able to step up and still shut him down. And obviously the fun part was seeing, you know, uh, whenever he was matched up against Robert Coronado or Isidro Martinez, you know, <laughs> yes, is yes. Cello getting fouled? <laughs> and there was one exactly. that we were we were just poking fun about it. And Chuy or Cello or Rob, you're listening to us. We love you guys, you know, but it's just hilarious. So there was this one part in the second half. I, no, yeah, in the second half, I believe, where Isidro gets fouled right outside their own box by Oakland. And Chewy starts coming up towards, you know, all mad, right? Because he thinks that Cello is kind of taking his time and, you know. So Chewy's already, like, walking over towards where Cello was. And then he sees the referee coming towards where Cello is and Chewy's like, all right, never mind. (laughs) you know yes i did see that and then there was another one so in another play cello gets hit in the head um by an oakland roots defender he takes a while to get up the you know obviously uh the um caretakers have to go check him make sure blah blah blah. so there goes some time there as well Mm -hmm. cello then gets fouled another time a couple minutes later right he takes his time getting up and Chewie starts complaining to the ref and pointing to over there to, to our Derek's goal and say kind of, and I feel like he was telling him like, he's already got fouled over there and took his time. Like it, ha- it can't be that he's injured again. I just mm-hmm. thought it was hilarious how, you know, and it's one, one of the things where you remember that despite them being friends, you know, mm-hmm. off off the pitch, you need to forget that once you enter the pitch for those ninety minutes. You forget that you're friends. Mm-hmm. You forget that they're your brothers, etc., etc., etc. It's your rival at that time, and you're gonna yep. do what's best to 
do what's good for the club that you're representing. In Chewie's case, Oakland Roots. It wasn't enough for him and, and Oakland, but I got to give it kudos to RGV uh, FC for shutting, uh, being able to shut them down in for 90 plus minutes. Yeah, exactly. And yeah, you got to remember, they all played FIFA together too. And those FIFA matches did get very, very competitive as well. So those, all of them, they are <laughs> they're very competitive, whether or not it is on or off the field. I feel like. But you want them to be competitive. Like you want course, them to care. Of course, of course. And yeah, that was, that was always fun. So yeah, very, very cool seeing all of them. And honestly, it was glad to see, it was, I was so happy to see Chui again, you know, even if it was for a couple of minutes after the game, but man, the guy was just gave it his all with RGV. He's giving yeah. it his all for Oakland, but not, mm-hmm. but at the end of the day, like he still cares yeah. for the region down here. And I wish we could have him back in the future, but we'll see what happens. He's happy with Oakland. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, uh, obviously I would love to see him happy, you know, pr- uh, priority. That's my priority. Yeah. yeah, one final thing though, yes. I do have to give a shout out to the fans. They were amazing on Saturday night for RGVFC. I know who I sound like, but it's so true. We have not seen that place that full in a long time for an RGVFC match, and that says a lot. Over 5,000 fans officially went to the game Mm -hmm. and the atmosphere i could tell you one thing it was it was one of the coldest nights i do recall at heb park if not the coldest night whether or not for an opening night or just a game in general but just it was amazing especially even after the game the fans were into it being very hilarious to the visiting oakland roots players as they walked in they would boo the oakland roots players and cheer for mm-hmm. rtvsc i mean the fans were harmless like they weren't like saying anything terrible they were just like booing and it seemed very very like nonchalant boos as in like they it wasn't that they cared that much but they were bringing the atmosphere to but they know that that's one of the things where you're gonna create pressure right exactly yeah so. and not only that it's like they also let their own chance as well you know and a couple yes. of times during the game with the let's go toros mm-hmm. you know so i really really appreciate that atmosphere that the toros are bringing now let's continue hoping that those numbers can as the season goes on yep. the numbers continue to grow you know because i want to see i want to get back to those pre-2017 levels where you were talking yeah. about well no like when we first opened the the stadium yeah, those first was, couple of games where you're talking yeah, yeah. about attendances of like seven thousand and some and then also we get down to like three thousand and four thousand you know back in yep, 2020 yep. you know so um i really hope to see that one day we start we can end up even filling the park uh, you know uh for a toros match and not for a liga mx match you know yep, yep. um but that's gonna take time and that's gonna take uh an effort by them by us as media by the fans you know the season ticket members to make sure to get the word of mr toro out to the rio grande valley and also obviously to the front office marketing and uh, and and finance you know making sure that you guys that like i mentioned in the last um 
episode or two weeks ago, you know, it's going to take a collaborative effort. It's going to take good. Everybody. Yeah. It's going to take good actions by them to make sure that it, it makes it viable for the fans to know about the club and get some season tickets. And I got to tell you this much, man, mm-hmm. you know, I don't know if you noticed, I don't think we did because we went straight towards, you know, the uh, press area after the game, mm-hmm. but the Toros actually have, I think it was Wahabakwe and somebody else. I don't remember who they stayed in the concourse area or over there by the bar area and signed autographs for the fans after the game. That is how you build community between players and fans. At least that's the good first step. And I applaud whoever made that decision. I applaud them for taking that initiative because in previous years, it was usually the players that would go up and sign the autographs over by the stampede area if they had the availability. Mm-hmm. But it was one of those assign and then move on, right? You didn't really give them time to meet the fans, to get to know them, for the fans to know the player, have a, cha- a conversation with them. I think it's a good first opportun- uh, first step into building that. There's still a lot more to grow. But at least we're seeing that they, ta- they took what we said two weeks ago. They took it to heart and acted upon it. Now, I'm not saying that we are the ones that caused them to move. This was probably probably planned before. But at least the fact that it went public that this needed to be fixed, they took it even more serious that, hey, we need to to make sure we put these plans in action because the fans are realizing that we can't do, we can't continue with the status quo. Mm -hmm. So kudos to RGVFC. FO and the players that took their time to make to uh, have those autograph sessions with the fans. Yeah. yeah, I think even in a couple of the press game or the post game pressers, press game posters, that's an interesting word, but the post game pressers, I think one of the players, I forget who it was, said that exactly. It's like without the fans, we wouldn't really be here. Something like that. Maybe, Actually, never mind. I'm thinking of last yesterday's NASCAR race, but it is true that does apply. Without the fans, they can't be do. They can't play. They they wouldn't be here because well, it's part of it. The fans pay their salaries. Same with you know sponsors. If because the way it goes is you get fans to go, sponsors take notice. People are going to this event. Let's try and put money into this to say oh, you know. Then of course, buttload of stuff comes up, and they they get you know revenue, ad revenue, and all of that from their own stuff. So it is true. Without the fans, players wouldn't be playing soccer, and all of that fun stuff wouldn't be coming after. So it it is very cool that we saw that build. Thank you. So before we move on to the next game, and we start giving our predictions uh, to the match against Orange County SC. The USL Championship power, power Rankings came out today, Monday, uh, the 14th, as we're recording this. This match against Oakland Roots, 
got us from 16 to 14 in the power rankings. Behind El Paso, uh, behind El Paso who lost 3-1 to Sacramento Republic. Behind Birmingham Legion, who drew against the, the Rowdies, which mm-hmm. got to give them props, right? Because it's yeah. the Rowdies, nonetheless. By the way, guys, oh, man, it hurt my... It, it broke my heart seeing Caste being taken off on the stretcher and wish him a really speedy recovery. And if you guys don't know who Caste is, Robert Castellanos, former RGVFC uh, center back. He was here within our hard times, and now he was starting to see the fruit of his efforts, you know, being signed by Nashville SC and then being loaned to the Tampa Bay Rowdies, which you're talking about the USL uh, runner-ups, you know, so it's not a bad team. Mm-hmm. And they then, won what like three straight titles before then or close in to it? NASL, like they I think. It? In NASL. Mm-hmm. Um But they're consistently up there, right? Fighting yeah. for that championship here in the USL. And then eighteen minutes in, you know, in your debut with the Rowdies and you sprain your ankle, you have to be carted off. I just so heartbreaking for him. And like I said, I wish him a speedy recovery, man, if you're listening. Uh he's a huge uh, friend and fan of the podcast as well. So yeah. uh yeah, but as I was saying, somehow even then we still only managed to get 14. And this is what they said: they said the Toros managed only one shot on target against Oakland, but that produced Frank Lopez's goal and a result that might fly under the radar a little in terms of how solid the hosts were. I see no, I see no lies in that statement. Yeah, I think that's a fair way to put it. Um... Now, I, I didn't watch, you know, El Paso locomotive game, so I can't say how El Paso did as long as RGVFC are ahead of San Antonio because San Antonio, for the most part, didn't look the best in their game. I did watch some of that with you, Edson, up in the booth mm-hmm. while we were, you know, watching uh, RGV play against Oakland Roots. So as long as that's a thing. But it is true. That statement is, is a good way, a good balance. But somehow, some way, I would say it's Kirk Herbstreet's fault for RGBFC being where they are. They deserve to be further up, I think, in the, in the rankings, even though they did say a true statement of... I feel like at goals. least, maybe we might be correct in the 14, but I think El Paso Locomotive should be a little bit lower than that. Yeah, I think... From I what think I that, saw. Yeah. I mean, they did lose. Yeah, I think so, it's yeah. I think it's a fair statement. I think it's fair where we are compared to the rest of the USL, mm-hmm. but I do think that they are overhyping El Paso Locomotive too much. I mean, uh, are you surprised? Not really. No. Mm-mm. But but yeah, I, I, that's the only question I have about these power rankings. Other than that, I feel like their evaluation of RGBFC is fair. But it, it, it does, it is a positive note, like I mentioned, to what we might see from the Toros in this season. Now, moving we're, on. Wait, yeah, go real ahead. Quick, where are Phoenix Rising on that list? Did they lose or did they win? Oh, they won, dude. They, they, uh, oh, they won? Okay. Yeah. Well, then. They scored, you fair. know what? So they scored um, by the second minute, they were already winning 1 0. Okay. And yeah, they deserve to be way up there. So they're fine. Yeah. <laughs> San Antonio in fourth, and some, but yet they tied um, uh, Detroit City FC. Once again, they're yeah. overhyping San Antonio and El Paso. 
Man, it's like the AP poll and the college football media always <laughs> overhyping UT. I'm sorry, but not sorry at the same time because it's so true. It's like, guess what? UT Austin this year, in just watching the summer preseason rankings, they're going to be ranked somehow, some way in the top 10. Don't know why because they haven't been that well. This is way off topic, but it's true. That's going to be a thing, and everybody's going to say they overhype them, and then all of a sudden, you know, they lose uh, a lot of other games and go to a crappy pool like every other crappy team that plays in a bowl. But yeah, that's besides the point. We're talking about USL soccer. Yeah. Uh, it's like they drew against uh, the 18th in the power rankings, but somehow that's still good enough to put them in fourth in the power <laughs> rankings. It makes no sense to me. But anyway, and they were home too. <laughs> yes, exactly. And of course, this whole dilemma with the stupid blackout kits. Uh, even their announcers were like, "Yeah, we, we can't. can't <laughs> we can't tell who these players are, especially the ones that you know that haven't been here for a long time." And it's like. <laughs> no shit everybody's been yep, telling yep. that everybody it, told you that it was a bad idea and the nba had the same deal where both teams were wearing white and they had to make one of the teams change it oh yeah the usl can't make them change their numbers or jersey yeah i, I just well to be fair to be fair number one i mean even if you make them change their jersey, their away jersey is also white, and Detroit City was going to wear white. But they could have just told them from the get-go that they announced them, no, blackout numbers are no-go. And yeah, no ifs, ands, or buts about it. Because it is in the UAO, UIL, USL regulations. Yeah. But anyway, that, that should not concern us. Uh, let's move on, because we're already like a... <laughs> One hour, a little bit past one hour. Anyway, so uh, moving forward, Saturday on the 19th, RGVFC will be traveling to Orange County and will be taking on uh, the uh, the Orange County SC, the current USL champions, at their home. Now, Orange County SC are coming in to this uh, match having lost 2-1 to one against uh, Colorado Springs switchbacks. And they're not a bad team at all, no. especially with, with them still containing Haji Berry. But now you bring in the firepower of Elvis M.O., you know, into the fold. They are a very dangerous team on paper. And mm -hmm. even with El Cubo Torres, Orange County SC really didn't do much against the switchbacks. They had more possession. Yes. They had seven shots it was, so they were it was pretty equal eight shots by the switchbacks seven shots by orange county yep. here's the difference out of those eight shots four of them were in target from colorado out of the seven shots from oc only one of them was in target with four blocked shots so and you see that they have a tendency to shoot from outside the box at least in this game so what are your thoughts? What is, what is your prediction for this game against o OCSC? Uh, well, it's interesting because the cool thing is Wilmer Cabrera knows how to coach or knows two of the players on Orange County SC because he's coached them. That being Elvis Amo. And that being Eric Cubo Torres. The Cubo Torres, as you kept calling him. 
<laughs> but point is, uh, that's good. So he already knows how to tactically draw up something around those two players. And now he's just got to figure out, do I want to go a little bit more defensive or a little bit more on the attack, especially since we're on the road? I think what he was able to do against Phoenix Rising, that was a playoff game, but that type of that type of fire, that type of attack kind of, that's that's good. I like that. I think he could definitely do something of that sort with the team that he's got right now, too. So remember what we said before, he's got to be able to kind of change things up. I don't think that you changed it up too, too much from what you played at home, because I still think that, that was a good, good enough defensive performance to where you can play that anywhere. So that's definitely a possibility. He might not be as keen on getting maybe winning possession near midfield, but for sure it'll be somewhere around that region. And of course, obviously, historically, the Toros have an advantage at Championship Stadium over OC. They have three wins compared to uh, two wins from OC, Um, but they both have scored six goals in those matchups. Uh, between both teams in in, in those six uh, times that they've uh, gone off against each other and Orange County's uh, stadium. So we'll see if the Toros can get one more match, uh, um, one more win in those aspects. And um, But what is your, predi- your regular prediction for this match? A regular prediction, I think the Toros are going to be able to get a draw on the road. I think four points is perfect. And the way that they were able to play against Oakland Roots with, of course, being able to now focus and figure out, you know, where their weaknesses were and fix a little bit of those leading up to it. Plus, it's it's always helpful if you think about this. They technically, with daylight savings, they lost an hour. Guess what? They gained an hour plus one when they go over to Orange County. That's only going to benefit them, in my opinion. So I think they can come out here pretty fresh and get the job done with a 2-2 two to two draw. I'm a, I, I agree with you in the draw, but I'm going to go with 1-1. One, one. I think the Toros still might need some help offensively, uh, but I think defensively they might be sound enough to limit uh, Orange County SC to one goal. And um, and that's what I'm, I think. That's what I'm going. With. I think it seems the most uh, fair that I don't think I don't think they're going to win, but I don't necessarily think that they're going to lose either. So that's going to be that's my regular prediction. One one. Now, what is your bold prediction? Bold prediction. We go back to it, Edson. Yes, the beautiful red card. We're going to see a lot of red cards, but only from one team. That one team is going to be Orange County SC. They're going to kind of lose their minds. They're going to finish it up with eight players on the field. All players will be fine. Don't worry. Two of them will be handballs inside the penalty box. <laughs> RDVFC is going to end up winning. Are they going to go full? Are they going to go full Luis Suarez? Full share. Again, I covered this game back in the playoffs, which is almost an anniversary to mm-hmm. it. Sherryland Hyde taking on. Um, um, uh, Brownsville Lopez. The, one of the craziest games before this year I had ever seen, especially in playoffs. 
Sherryland High get a penalty inside the box in the first minute, then they get another red card because of a double yellow situation. But like I said, two of them, yes, definitely red cards inside. And they're, they're going to be fluke red cards kind of where he was inside of it and gets his hand, you know, swatted, but his hand was kind of up like this. So, yeah, I think that's what's going to happen. And then, of course, one's going to be a double red or double yellow, I mean. Mm-hmm. I think my bold prediction is going to be 3-0 Toros. All right. And you will see uh, Adolfo Hernandez uh, make his debut with RGVFC, and he is going to score two out of those three goals. Um, that is that is my bold prediction for this match. It's going to be amazing if they get the win, but I'm pretty content with the draw. You know, let's see if they continue with those with that impressive defensive performance that they did against Oakland. And they can do a similar performance on the road against Orange County SC. And then maybe a month or two months into the season, we can start saying, hey, this is a team to be on the lookout for. You know, it's not going to be capturing the attention of nation, national media, but it is going to uh, it is going to do their job and hopefully get us back into the playoffs. By the way, huge shout out to Sebi Salazar from ESPN uh, Plus's Football Americas for naming this shirt, this RGVFC away jersey, as his best USL Championship away jersey on his show. Huge shout out to Sebi. Yeah. I think, yeah, I think that's definitely, like, that was a great thing. <laughs> Um, it's that simple of a kit that is not too flashy, but at the same time, like it just blends really well. Again, talking about it with my friend, it's like, what, what sponsor isn't more perfect or is more perfect than Reliant and the RGV, RGVFC and Reliant partnership. It blends so well in the end. I'm also a, unlike nature Valley. Unlike Nature Valley, exactly. I talked about it with him and with my friend, and we even talked. Yeah, it wasn't even uh, printed on, right? It was sewed in. Yeah, wasn't it was it a. It was a patch. It, like it was a patch. It was made from similar material from the league badges. It made there no sense. It was like you. You had that like that like sweat like right here where the where the logo was and it was like oh my god like it wasn't even breathable even the players complained about it that's how bad it was you know yep. from, from what i was told but yeah uh but yeah it's a really nice jersey if you guys uh go and want to go ahead and buy it be sure to check it out at the taurus uh team store uh i think it's one of the, it's like i said it's the best jersey that anybody has ever given the taurus in all of its its its, its existence uh, so be sure to be sure to cop it. I copped this one and I copped the home one, and I'm ready to rock them in Austin when we go to the uh, NASCAR race at uh, Circuit of the Americas. So we're gonna be repping Toros there, especially with the fact that that's gonna be the day of the South Texas Derby. Exactly. That will be fun. But guys, that's gonna be it for for us tonight. Uh, what just quick reminder: be sure to follow us on all of our social media at StunnerGRGV on Twitter, Facebook, uh, Instagram, and TikTok. And be sure to also check out obviously our YouTube channel, youtube.com/slash Down in the Valley. 
if you guys want to see the video version of this be sure to wait until like wednesday or thursday when we will upload the video of our recording up on youtube for y'all to if you guys want to see my ugly mug then go ahead you know but i wouldn't suggest you torture yourself like that right um but also be sure to check out uh, my articles on the striker texas um obviously new subscribers get a free 30-day trial so you can have access to all of our premium content you guys can see uh, my articles you know my game recaps my uh, three takeaways from each of the games or any any other articles that i write about rgvfc specifically you will find it on the striker texas so be sure to uh, uh check them out at the strikertexas.com and jacob where can they find you at and what else are you doing out there right now <laughs> Well, you can find me on Twitter at JacobYoung456, uh, where you can find a lot of hot takes and all of that fun stuff, as well as you can find me also on TikTok at JacobYoung, well, check that, not JacobYoung, The Overreacted Gamer, and then as well as The Overreacted Gamer on Twitch as well as YouTube. So yeah, for three of them, it is very simple. The Overreact Gamer, one of them, just JakeBeyoung456. And yeah, that's really where you can find me, doing content and all that. Well, guys, like I mentioned, thank you so much for listening to us uh, about the Toros. Hope to see you all um, supporting the Toros, uh, even in away games. Be sure to post about the Toros on your on Twitter, on Facebook, on Instagram. Let that, let the voice, we have to do our own marketing as well, right? You know, about the team. And uh, be active about, about the Toros as much as you can to get other people hyped up about, about this team, you know? And you guys have made the, taken the first tap, step in that by listening to the Down in the Valley podcast. We'll see each other in the next episode. Y'all be safe, take care, and let's go Toros.